So here we are. We are in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be on 2 Corinthians when we finish this. And then after that, who knows where we're going to be? Thessalonians. That'll be fun. Braces. Thessalonians. Is there anything stuck in my braces? Yeah. So uh, we had a bunch of questions we did. Uh, one of them that we're up to now is, why is the concept that spiritual gifts are under the control of the Spirit of the Lord important to an understanding of the doctrine of spiritual gifts? So we'll use chapter 12 if you're wondering in 1 Corinthians 12. Sin can lead to sickness. We think, of course, we have a doctor in the room, uh, and, and she would probably tell you that your mind uh, can, can contribute to sickness. Stress, as we know, uh, contributes a lot to sickness. You know, uh, they're saying now about cancer. Stress has a, a, a large bearing on both your susceptibility to cancer and then also your survivability of cancer. The modern theory of psychosomatic, you've heard that. How many have heard the word psychosomatic? Oh, it's all in your head. But in this case, we're talking, uh, we're talking about spiritual illness. Spiritual illness. I want you to put that in your head. Spiritual illness rather than um, just the emotional roots of a disease. We talk about things of the spirit. Big, big S. Uh, in Greek, it's pneumatica, the pneumatica. Uh, weird word, but we'll, we'll talk about uh, kind of how that is. But it's not, it's translated a little bit incorrectly. Uh, they, there's a lot of words that there is in Hebrew that there is no word for in other languages. It's just they don't exist. So we have to make up as close as we can, try to fix it in. Spiritual gifts... Uh, I think it's as close as we can probably get. Um, charismatic, charismata. Um, you know, these types of things. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are the subject of these three chapters, uh, 12 and, and moving forward. Shaul first deals with the diversity of gifts in the one body of the Messiah. That's 12.1 through 12.31a. Apparently addressing the problem of people's taking pride in having this or that gift from the Spirit. Or, what's happening in the modern church still today is feeling in fear because they don't have it. Remember I told you about that person that said, hey, you know, we, I'm nervous about going to this place because these churches they have here don't have the Holy Spirit, and therefore, you know, God's not going to work there. And the sad thing, oh, another addict is made right there, y'all. Those things are bad. Um, let me say... He doesn't care. Did, oh, for Karen. Oh, that's nice. Husband pushing for the wife. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, Wes has got him in every pocket. Are you kidding me? Got to be prepared. So, so here's the thing. Uh, a lot of times people feel inferior because they don't have the Holy Spirit or maybe the expression of the Holy Spirit isn't as powerful, profound, or obvious it's not as obvious to people around them. There are some faiths, we're going to talk about that a little bit, where they are a cornerstone of their faith or their doctrine uh, is that they, your expression of your getting or being bathed in the Holy Spirit is indicative of the truth or authenticity of your faith. There are a lot of people, I've talked to people who've had this thing where they've asked me, man, have you ever been given the gift of tongues? You ever been given the gift of tongues? Because, man, I never have had it. The Lord's just never given that to me. I don't know what I have to do, but unfortunately, come on in, you come in. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, I don't have it. I don't have, I don't have that gift. The Lord's never, I try, man, I try to do it. And they go to these seminars that they hear about how to get the gift of tongues or the gift you know, get bathed in the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And so they feel in fear because they don't have it. In the love chapter, 1231b through 141a-ish, uh, he describes the best way to live a messianic life, even better than possessing spiritual gifts. Finally, in 141, uh, 
through 40, he addresses the problem that the Corinthians had with disorderly use of the gifts of the Spirit in public worship. Uh, There was just so much craziness going on here. I mean, it was just out of control. Seriously, it was, the church was out of control. We, you know, look, we look back with this false nostalgia and we say that, man, if we could just be like the early church. The early church was jacked up. It was jacked up. Folks were, there was crazy business going on up in there. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that because, uh, because things were so jacked up, as we've said the past several weeks, Shaul or Paul had to come in and, and shake, some, shake some trees, shake some bushes, and say, all right, folks, this is how we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to straighten up. Well, one of the big things that was going on is people were bragging about, well, I have the Holy Spirit, Rach uh, HaKadosh. Uh, he is in me, and the, you can see the evidence of that by when I do this or when I do that. You, you're not so spiritual. You don't have that. So therefore, you're not as godly, you know, as, as I am. This happens in churches all over the place. This is a fairly common thing. One thing I want to say really quick, and a lot of times people will struggle with this in the, in the Western Evangelical Church, the word Trinity is never used in the New Testament, but the elements which led theologians to develop such a concept are seen in passages like in um, uh, 4 6, First uh, uh, Corinthians 4 6, um, where Spirit, Lord, and God refer respectively to the Holy Spirit, Yeshua the Messiah, and the Father. There seems to be less significance to the attribution of the three activities giving to the Spirit, being served to the Lord, and working to God the Father, then in oversight of all these activities by the same one God. That's from David Stern. He puts another thing out there that I think is really good, and he's cool in the fact that he says, I agree with the following paragraphs written by a Roman Catholic. The Corinthians, it seems, had been disputing about the relative value of the different charismatic graces and valued some of them, such as speaking in tongues more highly than others. In his teaching in response to these disputes, Paul deliberately lumps all of the charismatic graces together. And to describe them, he uses four different words as though these four words were synonyms. Each of these words is used to describe all the graces given by the Spirit for building up the community. Each of these words brings out a different characteristic of one same reality. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, or pneumata, there are varieties of gifts, charismata, and the same spirit, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, diokonia, but the same Lord, and there, and there are varieties of working, energemata, from which we get energy. But it is the same God who inspires them all and every one. I like that. He explains it really well. So we talk about, uh, we've heard gifts, uh, services, gifts of the Spirit, services of the Spirit, workings, uh, different words for nomata, the inspirations, or the spiritual gifts which build up the body of Christ. And Spirit, Lord, God are the one source of all the gifts. That's from Paul Hinnisbush. Uh, he was community in the Lord of um, Notre Dame in Indiana. So, a key point here that in, in uh, the complete Jewish Bible, one of the things that I think David Stern does really great is he helps us get to the real. And that is the particular manifestation of the Spirit that each person receives is not due to his own merit, but to the Spirit. Distributing to each person as he chooses, not to provide ground for pride, but for common good. So we've addressed that, right? We've, we've, we've established that your gift in the Spirit is not for you to be lifted up and say, well, look at me, I'm, I speak in tongues, or I'm, I don't know, whatever, whatever your different things are. Uh, it's, it's to serve the community of believers. You know, you talked about being an intercessor. There are lots of people, um, there are people called uh, medical intuitives. Have you ever, you, I think you have that, where you can tell, it's good that you're a doctor, that worked out. Um, where you can tell something's wrong here. And then you have the Spirit moving in you, but you also have the science that the Spirit has helped you learn. All of these things, I think they're powerful things. 
But it's not about, look at me, I'm truly bathed in the Spirit, therefore I'm more Christian than you. Nine charismata supernatural gifts from the Holy Spirit are mentioned. This is 8 through 10. Number one, word of wisdom, supernatural wisdom. It's about, it's about really how to solve a supernatural problem or a worldly problem in the natural. There are some people who are just great at solving problems. Jerry's not here. Jerry is a great example of that. Jerry is a problem solver. John is a problem solver. Where's Linda? Where is she? Oh, there she is. Oh, she's in Mr. Knopf's chair. Oh, Lord. So, you know, problem solvers. Let's get to the solution and the way we do that. Let's, let's think about the problem. Let's think about how to solve the problem. And there's people that are great at that. They're really good at solving problems. That could be a worldly problem, a logistical problem, or it could be a totally supernatural problem. Uh, I remember I was at a, a conference. This elderly gentleman came and did a conference on prayer. And he said he was old. I mean, this guy was in his 80s. And he said when he came in, it was supposed to be a six-day conference. And uh, they had only planned for four. And he said, why is on the program it's only four, four days? I mean, he just came in right before he was ready to speak. They said, oh, you know, Dr. So-and-so, we... We can't get people here for six days. Not, there's no way. We have hard enough time getting them here for Sunday and, and Wednesday service. He says, change that. I'm going to change it tonight. You mark it out. Print up, print up new ones if you have to. We're not doing that. He said, that's part of your problem, church, is you can't commit to six days. We're, we're here talking about prayer. And the first thing we're going to do tonight is we're going to pray. And he had the different leaders. He told the pastor, Pastor, you pick your pr prayer leaders. Pick your prayer leaders. Tell me who your prayers are and have them, have them come up here. And then I'm going to call on them to pray throughout the thing. He said, we'll fill up four or five hours of prayer. I just know we will. He was being facetious because he knew that's part of the problem. Man, they couldn't fill up 22 minutes in prayer. I think it was five or six people. And these are the strongest prayers in the church. Not that prayer has to be long and demonstrative. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is he was demonstrating, look, you, you can't believe for six days that the Lord's going to bring people here for six days. You've got to be kidding me. Boy, your problem is far deeper than you really realize. And we did six days, and let me tell you what, we had at least, I think one night we had 300 and some people there. The lowest attendance was the first night, 152 people. Six nights. Six nights. It was amazing, and it turned that church on fire. So, um, let's see here. This is, the, he gives, David Stern gives this, uh, gives this example, and I kind of like it. A homey example, this is his, this is his, this is an actual example in his life. My wife has what I playfully call the gift of finding. Although she has plenty of sechel, which is common sense in Hebrew, in knowing how to look for a lost item, not infrequently in response to prayer, God reveals to her supernaturally where the missing item is to be located. I provide her many opportunities to exercise her gifts since it seems I have the gift of losing. So sometimes the gifts, you know, you ever, uh, it, uh, our daily bread I had a thing, it was a statement that says, some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. You ever hear that saying? Some people just can't function. I, I might have said it. Uh, they, they, they just can't, they just can't get out of their own darn way. They can't function here on earth because the appearances is they're so set on heavenly things that they just can't function. They just have no sechil or common sense. The thing is, is if somebody is, and I'll just speak this plainly, if somebody is so disorganized in their life, their, their children are dirty and they barely show up anywhere on time. In fact, they never show up on time. Amen. Pray for you. We'll pray for you. <laughs> but you know, no, 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 no. You guys know how to be on time. The thing is, Hey, they just celebrated their 20-what anniversary? Their 20th anniversary? Hey, we don't know what was causing them to be late. I'm not going to say. 
I'm not going to say. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is sometimes folks, you know, they can't get out of their own way. Their life is so jacked up. They're, they're always, you ever see them? They're just running, running, running. Whew, whew, my life is so busy. My life is so busy. You know, they never, but they never accomplish a thing. They're not organized. There's nothing. Their, their house is just terrible, messy. They're, they're just, their life is messy. They're, everything is messy. Everything messy around them. They just can't find their way. They can't manage their own personal life. They can't manage their own personal affairs. Can't manage their family. All, the, all that stuff. It's just always crazy chaos. But then they want to tell you about their spiritual gifts. They've got no control over their life. No, no command over their life. That's why, you know, the, the exhortation to leaders and elders in the church are, listen, you've got to have your business. You square your business away. In the military, we would call it blowing stuff up. We would call it keeping your wires tight. Better keep your wires tight. You know, uh, you can't depend on somebody that's just always uh, frazzled all the time. Well, you see that. That's my little thing for frazzled. You see that? Uh, too bad we don't video this, right? So you, you see that, and what are you not going to do? You're not going to listen to that person. You're not going to listen. Which, which dovetails into don't go to a poor person for financial advice. You know, and I'm going to say this. If your dad never had two pennies rubbed together and you have a financial question, don't ask him. Right? Don't ask him. Don't ask him maybe to find out what not to do, but if he's never had a dime, he's never managed, money just falls out of his pocket. He just can't even find a pair of pants that don't have a hole in the pocket because money's just falling right out. And the money doesn't fall out, burns right in his pocket. Just burns right up. Don't ask him. If you, if you, you know, you have a relationship issue, you're, you're trying to work it out, and, and, and your, your mom uh, has never been able to get along with anybody ever in her whole life, don't go to her. Don't go to her. Anybody else? Good lands. There's some thirsty folks up in here. So that's good, though. Hey, Bill brought that water. You might want to wipe it off because he brought it last week. He might have been infected. That's right. Living water. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've been sharing that with everybody. Gallon a day. So here's, it is hard. So here, here's the thing. So sometimes, you ever, you ever think somebody's going to give you, and you know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. I'll tell you what happens. People will volunteer to give you advice. They will. You say, oh, I'm having a hard time getting along with Sean. I'm having a hard time getting along with Sean. Somebody will pop up and say, let me tell you, this is what you need to do. And you realize that person's in the lunchroom by themselves every day. They, <laughs> they don't have any friends. I'll check and see, did I turn this thing on? Sure enough, I did. Uh, but uh, I couldn't remember. <laughs> I bumped my head on a car. Uh, so, so, but, you know, those people will often, you know, give you advice. The person that's been married and divorced seven times, they're going to say, let me give you some marriage advice. I'm a, if there's anything I've learned... You know, these types of things. But there are some people that have that word of wisdom, that supernatural wisdom, and you go to them. Dini Dilatush and Walter Dilatush, I've told you about them. Uh, you know, rich, rags to riches to rags story. Boy, they never wavered in their faith. They never wavered in their faith. And when Walter or Dini Dilatush said something, I'll tell you who else. They're going to be listening to this. Larry and Dolores Brock, D. Brock the people I spent Thanksgiving with. It, Larry doesn't say a whole lot, but when Larry opens his mouth, you better listen. You better listen. You better pay attention because he's going he's gonna to share some wisdom with you if you're, if, if you're going to listen. He'll share it with you, and he knows if you're not going to listen because he won't waste his time. Just there's some people with that. Then there's the word of knowledge, supernatural knowledge, relevant to understanding a situation, a specific situation. Here's an example. Pastor expelling demons from a woman was told by the Spirit that the demons were connected with the smell of mother. Seems unlikely that hours of questioning the subject would have revealed that in times of stress she would smell the pillows her deceased mother once used. And this pastor, without asking her, discerned that it has to do 
with the smell of your mother. You say, that's freaky weird, dude. That's just some weird stuff. Folks, there's weird stuff that happens in the supernatural. I'm, I don't want to break, you know, I'm just going to tell you real quick, there are countless stories of the Israelites, even uh, the IDF in modern day, just a few of them, six of them on a hillside fighting 300. They've almost got no bullets left. And then when the, they turn and retreat and they're interviewed later on, they say, my goodness, what did you, what caused you to turn on your heel like that? What, you know, it seemed like you were winning. And they say, oh no, no, there were, there were thousands there. And we, we, we had no hope, no chance against an army of God like that. And the six guys are going, I need to cut back on my dinners a little bit because if I look like 6,000 people, you know, but they were like, that's God with us. They didn't brag about it, but that's happened throughout uh, Jewish history, uh, the history of it. Amazing. Uh, amazing. Tunnels, all of these things. It's just, it's just amazing to me Amazing to me that some people have that, that word of knowledge, supernatural knowledge, relevant to understanding a specific situation. Faith or faithfulness is a gift of the Spirit, but let me be clear, I don't want to leave this lay. Your faith and your faithfulness can be built just like any muscle in your body. And you have to work that out. If you don't, God will give you the opportunity to have remedial training. He'll do it. But what I'm saying to you is faith or faithfulness beyond what believers normally have, even though all faith is a gift from God. That's in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. The faith which produces not only miracles, but martyrs. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> martyrs, I understand that to be you killed for your faith. Yeah, sometimes there have been people with the most amazing faith that have gone through. Let me give you an example. Modern day. Modern day. Did you hear about those children that were told by ISIS, turn from God, your God, and worship Allah? Little kids, if you don't, we will cut your heads off. And they said, we love Jesus. And they promptly cut their heads off. You say that didn't work out too well for them. For them. Yeah. They're in glory. They have cut to the chase, so to speak. They're, they're in the presence of Almighty Holy God. And He is basking in their faithfulness. Even though they knew you will die today. That's a, what's that? It's a heck of a Sunday school, isn't it? Do this, and this is going to happen. Don't do this, this is what's going to happen. There are some people who proceed into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They proceed into the fiery furnace of life and they're not silly. They're not whimsical. They're not, they're not, they don't lack sahil or common sense. They just, they, they live, my God has this under control. I remember an interview with a, with a guy. And his wife uh, was at his bedside. And he had cancer. He, he was... Uh, he had leukemia, and he, and he was, nobody knew that he was hours away from his death, but he was being interviewed. It was a, a, a news show. It wasn't a religious show. It was a news show. And I think it was like 2020 or, what's the other one? Dateline? Not Dateline. Maybe it was 60 Minutes. Yeah, maybe it was 60 Minutes. And they're interviewing him. They didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth. But they, they said, you know, you're so sick. He was kind of a prominent figure, but not in the Christian world. You're so sick. But yet, you seem happy. What's that song? I sing because... 
Because I'm free. There you go. And I know he's watching me. This dude knew. He understood that whole thing about, look, if God cares about the sparrows, if not one falls out of the sky without him knowing and caring, how much more does he care about me? God's not leaving me to hang here. He says the interviewer, the interviewer says, how can you be so happy? He says, I know my time is ordered by God. Yeah, but you're in such pain. At some point, my pain will stop. And my body will be glorified in the presence of the perfect perfecter. And at some point, I will be in a position to look at all of you and say, ha <laughs> suckers. Hours later, after the interview was completed, he died. His wife was with him when he died. And he said, Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. And she would get a little closer. No, no, no. Come here. Come here. Because it was getting close. He was having trouble breathing. Uh, he was drifting in and out. No, no. Come here. Come here. Come here. And she got closer and closer and closer. And she gathered up his hands. He had IV uh, in the one hand. And so she moved that kind of out of the way. And, and she laid her, her hands on him. And he pulled her hands to his chest. You feel? Do you feel? Do you feel that? And she says, I feel your heartbeat. He said, yeah. And then he tilted his head back and he smiled as though he had seen glory. And she said, for a moment, he squeezed my hands. And in the very next moment, this smile that beat all she'd ever seen, came across his countenance. <sighs> and he rested into this beautiful place. She took a photograph of it. I don't have the photograph. It's not been made public. But she said, I look when I struggle in my faith, when I struggle with the faith that my understanding, the faith that my husband, because they were young. They weren't, they weren't older people. They were young. She said, I look at this picture and I say to myself, he saw glory and he ran to it. Faith and faithfulness in spite of the struggle, in spite of the, the you might end up a martyr. Sometimes that kind of faith doesn't just produce miracles. Sometimes it produces martyrs. So another one would be gifts of healing. Whoa. Nearly everyone is acquainted with inexplicable healings. Doctors more than most people. Difference, I think, between you and many others are you rely first on the Spirit, second on science. I think that's amazing. Big S, little s. It's absolutely powerful. It's an amazing thing. What a blessing I know you must be to your patients. And being that they're little kids, I think they would understand better than adults. Adults always try to explain stuff away. Some of these are from God, and some, and of these, some come in response to ordinary prayer, while others result in the ministry of those who have one or more of the gifts, plural, of healing. To complicate matters, there are healings and miracles that are not from God, but from other spirits, even Satan. Now, let me say this to you, and let me be very, very clear. I want you to understand that God is still in the business of healing human bodies today. He's not out of that business. He's not slowed down. He's in the business of healing today. Does that mean everybody will be healed in the natural? No. There are some people that through their faithfulness and because of their faithfulness will not be healed, but will be martyred in their faith. However, there are yet others who, and, and many I think don't know this. I don't think they know it. I think some, some people do know they're dealing with the devil, but others I think they don't know. They don't realize it. 
There are some on television today that I look at and I think, oh, Lord, Jesus, somebody speak to this man. He doesn't have any clue what he's messing with here. But I'm, I'm telling you, not all healings come from God. There are, I've talked about Benny Hinn and some of the others that are imposters. They don't produce genuine healings. They don't draw on the spirit any more. Uh, they're not any more supernatural than their own spirit of greed. You see people, let me tell you something. Your, your clue will be if they're wearing a $5,000 suit of which they have 10 or 15 closets full of those and they're wearing $5,000 shoes and they're about to go get on a jet that's $2 million and they have several of those. Not to say wealth doesn't, doesn't take you out of the spirit. There's lots of very powerfully gifted, wealthy people. Not saying that at all. But if this fellow is up there telling you, seed faith, you give this, this number, it's always a wacky number, you give this number, that's going to release your faith. Go the other way. I can understand desperation. I know people that have gone to those people and they took their last dime. Not all of them, not all of them are bad. God still is in the healing business today. Nevertheless, healing was one of the chief ministries of Yeshua the Messiah when he walked the earth, Matthew 4, 23 and 24. And he promised that we who believe in him, get this, would do even greater works. The New Testament does not teach that God will heal every illness, but it does teach that he will supernaturally heal how many? Some. You say, but my God wouldn't be that. How, why would your God, why would your God allow a child to suffer? I look at Carson. I don't understand it. I really, really don't. Sweet boy, sweet family. They love Jesus. They worship and serve Jesus. They're obedient. They're faithful. They hunger and they thirst after Jesus. And yet, their boy suffers. I can't answer it. I don't know the answer. I don't know. I don't know. I used to say, you know, when I was a lot less, a lot more immature than I am right now, I'm going to get to heaven and going to ask God that. God help me understand why this kid had to suffer. You know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to see that face of that perfected child, and I'm going to realize he probably knows some stuff I don't know. What's the point of asking? We're in perfection. We're, we're, we're healed completely and fully in the spirit and in body. I won't have a need for those questions. But we do know not everybody gets healed. The working of miracles. In a sense, the events of everyday life are miracles, but the concept here seems to refer to unusual miracles, not usual ones. I love how David Stern puts things. Spectacular miracles are reported more frequently in areas where the gospel is relatively new. Now let me tell you, when you go to Africa, a lot of, a lot of pastors will go to Africa and India and Pakistan and all those places, some because they're so moved by the Spirit, oh, we've got to help these horribly poor people. And others, go ahead, get your jam on. That's all right. That happens. It might be the call. It might be Publishers Clearinghouse. You might be a winner. <laughs> Send them over here. We'll get in the picture. Hold that check up. <laughs> you know, I've actually been preaching and my phone went off. So it's okay. That stuff happens. So uh, I say usual ones or unusual ones, but there are many, many times where stuff happens and we don't give God the credit. It's a small miracle. We, we look at other stuff and we say, that's so huge. That's got to be of God. A lengthy, happy marriage is a miracle. Husbands are going, hey, man, oh, Lord Jesus, touch me, you know. Uh, there's, there's others that have ailments like Paul, like Shaul had, ailments that just never left them. But God gave them uh, the ability, the miracle of being able to work through that. God deals in miracles, big ones, little ones, all of them. But a lot of times we don't give credit to God. We pray in the direct opposite. 
a lot of times, right? We pray, 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 pray. God, give us a miracle, give us a miracle, give us a miracle. And then the miracle happens. And then we pray for two seconds. Thank you, Lord. That was awful nice of you. I have this other thing if you could help me with it. You know? Don't we do that? Prophecy is speaking on behalf of God. The standard for judging a prophet is given in the Torah. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you ask yourself, how are we to know if the word spoken is not from Adonai? When a prophet speaks in the name of Adonai, if the thing predicted does not come to pass, then it has not been spoken by Adonai. Rather, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you are not to be afraid of him. That's Deuteronomy 8, 20 through 22. Significantly, this passage follows on Moshe or Moses' prediction that a prophet like me would arise, and that prophet being Yeshua. Prophecy then is speaking on God's behalf like the prophets of the Tanakh. Some, but not all, of their writings are predictive, but all are intended to inspire fear and awe of God. Today's prophets speak on behalf of God, on God's behalf, but their prophecies do not thereby become holy scripture. Many prophecies mentioned in the Bible did not become holy scripture either. An important, important distinction. But they are to be paid serious attention. Serious attention. The ability to judge between spirits, particularly called discernment of spirits, is the ability to tell whether a particular phenomenon is from the Spirit of God, from a person's own spirit, or from some demonic spirit. One might call it the supernatural ability to avoid being deceived. To avoid being deceived. Man, that is an important gift. Because Christians are suckers. Aren't we? We'll fall for some stuff, won't we? You remember that fellow on television? He's been put off of television so many times. My goodness, he's been off. He's been on and he's off. He's on and he's off. He's on different times. Talking about, if you send in this money, you're going to get the cut of a prayer cloth. I have prayed personally over this, and I've put this fancy oil on here. So you get this prayer cloth, you get it home, you do this, 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 but you got to send your check. But you get the thing home, and wow, I'm telling you, things are going to open up for you. It's going to be great. You're going to be in great shape. Christians, by the hundreds of thousands, make this man a millionaire. They make him a millionaire. He's a charlatan. He's a snake oil salesman. He is a liar and a cheat. God healed the one guy. And what did he tell him? Don't, don't tell anybody. Just going back to me. Don't tell anybody. What did the guy do? He went around. Ooh, I'm healed. I'm healed. That guy over there, he's the one to heal me. You know? And the fellas puts up a big thing. Oh, we want to heal as many as possible. No, you want to have as many pocketbooks, as many desperate pocketbooks in there that you can possibly have that you want to take from it. The fellow won't come at you that way. He's not going to come at you that way. That's not how he's coming. If he's, if he's of God, that's not how he's coming. Christians need to think less about the gift of tongues and more about these other ones. Because, folks, we're getting swindled. We're getting taken because we want to believe. We have good hearts, right? Because we've been redeemed. We have our struggles, yes, but we're getting taken left, right, and center. And you know what? As if we didn't have enough reasons to get laughed at, which most of them are okay because we don't care if the, if, the, if the people in the natural, the people without Christ laugh at us. We don't care. Big deal. But we give them reasons to laugh at us when we we fall for swindles and things like that. One of the great gifts that's not that popular is to be able to discern when somebody's taking us for a ride. How about the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues? You knew I would get to this. Speaking in tongues has become known more widely in the 20th century than in centuries past. Right? It's becoming a bigger thing now than it even was back then. Since there, there's been an entire movement within Christianity identified with it, namely Pentecostalism, and more recently the charismatic movement among mainline denominations, the term means speaking in a language one has not learned. The New Testament seems to mention or imply at least four different kinds of tongues. We're going to talk about this really fast. Speaking in ordinary human languages other than those one knows. 
And some believe by implication as a sign that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in God's people. Non-charismatics, those today who do not speak in tongues, and anti-charismatics, those today who oppose speaking in tongues, understand this, air quote, sign to be limited to the representative groups who received the gospel, the Jews in Acts 2, the Samaritan quasi-Jews in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts 10 and 11, and the special group who believed in Yochanan or John the Immerser, John the Baptist, but knew nothing of Yeshua in Acts 19. These groups represent the spreading of the umbrella of God's people from the Jewish center, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, to wider and wider circles of humanity in keeping with the program of Acts 1.8. On the other hand, Charismatics and Pentecostals sometimes apply this same sign to individual believers and consider them to have been immersed or baptized in the Holy Spirit only if they have spoken in tongues. Key statement there. Remember what I said in the beginning. Have you had those? Have you been bathed in the Spirit? Did you get the Holy Spirit? No. No, I don't have it yet. Oh, I'll pray for you. You need to go talk to the pastor. He'll show you how to do it. Folks, there's nobody can show you how to do it. Nobody's going to show you. Just FYI. The Lord touches you and that's what he does. It's never happened to me. With these braces, sometimes people think I'm talking in tongues, but I am really trying to speak English. You know, it's just, it's just something that somebody's not going to show you how to do. That's a you and God thing. Speaking in ordinary human languages other than those one has learned not as a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit, but rather as a miracle from God. For example, one Pentecostal group reported that its denominational publication, in its denominational publication, that one of their missionaries in Africa was saved from the soup pot of a cannibalistic tribe when he began to speak the language of that tribe, a language he had never learned. Speaking publicly in a worship service in a language one has not learned, a language which may not be a human language but at all, but possibly a tongue of angels. This seems to be the gift of tongues concerning which Shaul gives rules in chapter 14. Also in chapter 14, Shaul, or Paul, distinguishes the public gift of tongues from speaking privately to God in a language one has not learned. The implication may be that some who speak in tongues privately to God do not have the gifts of tongues suitable for public gatherings. The ability, now one of these other gifts, we talked about tongues, but there's this, this is another side to it. The ability to interpret tongues to give the meaning in ordinary language of what is spoken by the gift of tongues. Tongues plus interpretation equals prophecy. Pretty powerful stuff. The whole subject of the charismata is very controversial when the body of Messiah these days. And Jewish believers often seem to find themselves in the thick of the argument. Because of this, it seems wise to devote some space to giving its broad outlines. There are four fairly distinct positions. And some of you, listen, I'm, I'm, look, I, I want you to understand something. I'm not throwing rocks at Charismatics or Pentecostals. There are several Pentecostal people in here. My favorite place to preach, other than here, is a Pentecostal church. Now, I'm a little afraid because some crazy stuff happens sometimes, but I do like preaching there because you know why? You get feedback. Folks are, folks are not afraid to amen and stand up and, you know, and if it's, listen, if it's a black Pentecostal church, whew, you're talking about fun. <laughs> they, they don't play around. And I never overheat there because they usually don't have the best heaters. If in the wintertime, because I normally get hot, I just get hot too fast, they don't, put, they don't cut the heat on because, you know, they wear so many clothes and hats and stuff. So you got you to keep it cool. So here it is. Yeah. I don't know how y'all are sitting next to that flame, man. I am, I'm about to die. I can't believe it. I cannot believe you people are crawling up on that stove. Narrow, here you go. Here's four distinct positions. Narrow charismatics, those hold, these hold that there is an experience known as immersion or baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is available to all believers and sometimes is a distinct experience subsequent to salvation, the necessary and sufficient sign or evidence that a believer has had this experience is that he has spoken in tongues. In extreme cases, these regard non-charismatics and anti-charismatics as second-class Christians or even as non-believers. Now, 
Remember the person I mentioned that's going to a place where only Baptist churches and doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is at work there because they, haven't, they don't exercise the gifts of the spirits. That person is doing this right here. This right here, what I just talked about. Because they're looking at it and saying, well, hey, if you don't have that, then pfft, you, you don't have the Spirit. It's sad. It's not good. It's not healthy. And I, I tell you what, I've been around some older folks who are more, more restrained in their worship than I am. Because when I'm worshiping, when I'm, when I'm full on in worship and I'm, I'm hearing a good sermon, man, I go to another place. I go to another place. And I don't care what people think. I really don't. It's not about them. It's about me and God. Let me say this, though, uh, and, and this is important, very important. A, a person that has never shown outward signs of the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that they're any less Christ-like than you or me. It doesn't mean that they're any less in the Spirit than me because you know what? If God tells them, look, I'm thinking of Doyle. Uh, it just reminded me. I said last week about Jerry Falwell. That, that dude, as far as I know, never spoke in tongues. But you can't tell me that he didn't follow into the furnace God. He took on every battle God told him to, to do. And he was maligned. Uh, he had death threats. He was, he was treated by the media like a, a circus clown. But he wasn't. It's all about the fruit. So here's the, here's the crazy thing. We can't look at somebody and say they're not about, they're not about the Holy Spirit. They're, they don't, they're not been bathed. They're not been immersed in the Holy Spirit. I think we get things wrong when we do that, when we define it that, that narrowly. Broad charismatics. This is number two. Same as number one, but having spoken in tongues in neither necessary nor sufficient as a, is not neither necessary nor sufficient as a sign of being immersed in the Spirit. The emphasis is more on the fact that the charismata are for the present day in contrast with position four below, which I'll tell you what that is. These are generally tolerant, generally tolerant of non-charismatics and receive them in love. Look, if they don't believe in it, they haven't experienced it, but they're cool if that's your thing. Whatever, dude. That's your thing. I'm not going to make fun of you. You may just be a way better Christian than me. What can I say? I'm cool. I'll worship next to you. Maybe it'll happen to me. Then there's three non-charismatics. These range from those whose viewpoint is the same as number two, but who have not personally received any of the charismata to those who think position number two, which you remember is broad charismatics. Position number two is mistaken, but receive charismatics in a spirit of tolerance and love as brothers who may in fact be right. And then there are anti charismatics. That's number four. These believe that the charismatics are wrong, that the charismata ceased in the first century for the perfect, understood to be the canon of the New Testament, has replaced, <coughs> excuse me, the partial. In extreme cases, these regard charismatics as second-class Christians or even as non-believers. Or of the devil, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are some, listen, there are some pastors out there who I think very highly of that there are one or more parts of, of, of their belief or their doctrine that I think, man, you're way off. I, I totally disagree with you. And I could show them where and why I disagree, and they can laugh at me and go, oh, you're not so-and-so, you know. That's okay. Um, I'll just tell you my personal, my personal thing on, on, we'll just say tongues. Uh, I believe in all the other gifts of the Spirit. I absolutely believe in that. As it relates specifically to tongues, let me say that it's never happened to me. It's never come on me. I can tell you there have been times where the Lord has so powerfully touched me that whatever words were coming out probably sounded like Babel because I couldn't put a sentence together because I was so powerfully impacted. Uh, how many of you ever heard the story of my calling to preach, getting called to preach? Right down the road, uh, my friends, uh, the Campanellas, who, whom I dearly, dearly love, each and every one of them, uh, they had me to stay in their house instead of in an apartment when moving out here from Ohio. They, they've been friends for 20-some years. They're some of my best friends on the planet. 
And when they heard I was moving back, they were like, you'll stay here. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to get an apartment. You're not getting an apartment. What are you talking about an apartment? You're staying here. Because Colleen had to stay back and uh, work at her firm uh, until after tax season. So it was about four months, I think it was, and I was out here getting the business going. Anyway, <laughs> one particular Saturday, uh, and you know, you saw me tonight. I love to eat. A brother can put away some food. A little bit. But it's pancakes. Saturday is pancake day at the Campanella's. And I mean, John does up some serious pancakes. It's a thing. I mean, it's every single Saturday, pancakes. And they're great pancakes. And we all have breakfast together. It's so much fun. It was a blast. Uh, but this one particular Saturday, I said, they knocked on my door. And they said, they called me Uncle Sean. Uncle Sean, are you coming? It's breakfast time. Pancakes are on. I said, no, hon, I'm going to be all right. Well, of course, they immediately thought, Uncle Sean is sick. Clearly, he is ill because he's rejecting pancake time. And, uh, and I was um, praying, and I, was, I remember who exactly I was listening to, Dr. David Jeremiah, um, Ravi Zacharias, and, and several others, uh, just literally for six, between six and eight hours. I did not get up for, to use the restroom or anything. I had my laptop right here on the bed, I was sitting in a metal chair right at the edge of the bed, leaning over like this for six to eight hours. I don't remember how long it was. Just wrestling with God. I didn't know what I was wrestling over. And I remember at a certain point, I looked inexplicably to my right. I looked to my right, looked out the window, and there was a double rainbow, and it was powerful. It was, it was you could taste the rainbow just about. I mean, it was so big and bright. Contrast was amazing. And I remember... I remember uh, that came directly after I prayed and said, God, I will preach. If you want me to, I will preach. I'm done fighting you. And because uh, it had been for years, I mean, that I knew that this is what I was supposed to do, but I just rejected it. And I gave every excuse under the book. But the bottom line is I looked to the right right after. I mean, I prayed, and then I just turned to my right like this, and there it was. And I thought I had been seeing things. I thought that was just a manifestation of something. Uh, but sure enough, uh, a while later, someone had come to the house and said, man, did you see the rainbow? It was a double rainbow. I was like, wow, that really did happen. It was just a powerful thing. It was a, it, to me, it was a visitation of the Spirit. Uh, it could have been a quinkadink, could have been timing, but I can tell you, I was praying so hard uh, that they would come up periodically and ask me, knock on the door and say, Uncle Sean, are you okay? I put some water out here and, and something to eat if you want it. I never did. I never was hungry the whole, the whole time. Never was hungry. Now, let me just say, that evening, poof, I did put away some food. But the point is, is that that was a, a me and God time. And there were times during which they said they could hear prayers coming from the room or something coming from the room. They could never make out what it was. I don't remember it. I honestly don't remember it. Um, I don't know if that was tongues. I don't know. You know, I could just tell you, me personally, uh, the, the whole tongues thing, I'm, I'm not the, the, the one that says, oh, well, you're not saved. If you, but let me, let me say this. Um, I know a person right now whose uh, father, uh, I, don't, I think he's retired, but he was the head of Summit uh, College, Summit Bible College. And he went to a church. He was very well-versed in Greek and Hebrew. He went to a charismatic church to visit one time, and there were people popping up, you know, and saying things that made no sense, unintelligible to everybody there, except for a person would pop up and say, oh, the gift of prophecy, he said, blah, 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 and it was powerful, man, Woo, man, very compelling. So then he says, hmm, let me see if this is for real. So he pops up, and he, you know, starts, you know, on a, on a five or ten minute rant in some other language, and a person pops up, at the, you know, the conclusion and says, what he said was from prophecy from God, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, he stands up and goes, you all are frauds. What I said was, in Hebrew, I recited the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I said. I didn't say any of that. You all are being defrauded. And he got up and walked out. Um, you know, that's to me a heroic thing. Because they were defrauding people. And the people that had never happened to them, they didn't succumb to that emotionalism that brings about that, well, if I don't have this, I'm just going to go to hell. 
you know, they felt horrible. They felt like they don't have the Holy Spirit. It's a shame. It's a shame. That is not to say that I don't believe there are times in this world where that happens. But clearly, Shaul or Paul didn't make this out to be the biggest deal. This was the least of them. Those who oppose charismatics often believe they rely too much on subjective experience. The objection is understandable since charismatics who believe that they have a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit would certainly be expected to take that experience seriously. On the other hand, it is possible for anti-charismatics to be influenced unduly by their own negative experiences with overzealous charismatics so that they end up throwing out the baby, throwing, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. As might be expected, each group stresses the verses of the Scripture which support its case and offers harmonious explanations of verses that raise difficulties. All four positions have able spokesmen who will generally agree that sometimes the emotions stimulated by the debate are not gifts of the Spirit. Since the charismatic issue is not specifically Jewish, uh, David Stern says, I will not develop further the cases for or against the above positions except to observe if Jews ask for signs, the question of the charismata may be significant in Jewish evangelism. See, here's the thing. We should appreciate each other's gifts and uh, others' ministries. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't envy those things. Oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. The purpose of the gifts is not self-aggrandizement, but building up the whole body in love. There are many ministries. We'll talk about some of them. We're getting kind of late now, but we'll talk about some of them when we get back together again. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say to you this, that, and I think this is, this, is, um, this is important to understand. I gave that example just a minute ago of the fella uh, who is the father of somebody we know real well, and I've, I, I, I've met him. Uh, I can't say that I, I know him, know him. I know of him, but nice man, kind of stodgy, little, this would be not church for him because there's not, there's not stained glass, there's not, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody in here with a tie on, my lands, I have a t-shirt on. Uh, uh, pistols do count, I will say. We're very well dressed in that regard. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Well, we have a flag there too. Uh, so, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. He wouldn't see this as church. This kehala, he wouldn't see this as church. This for him would not be authentic church. And that would be sad. Because he'd be missing out on a beautiful thing. Which is not to say, you know, one of the things I love that uh, Steve always brings such beautiful hymns for us to sing. Don't get it twisted. I like uh, decent worship music, as long as it's not the same word repeated over and over and over and over for like 200 verses. Why you need to sing one verse that's the same word 200 times, I don't understand that. But let, let me just say, I pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon me to find a way to make that electric shut off on all that stuff because it just drives me crazy to hear all that. Well, this, on the other hand, I'm not saying it's necessarily, look, if that stuff speaks to certain people, that's fine. It just doesn't me. It just doesn't seem very real. At the same time, we have a very relaxed, uh, very real worship here. And this guy who did that, who stood up and spoke in Hebrew uh, very powerfully, uh, you know, language expert, biblical language expert, president of a, a, a very well-recognized Summit Bible College. You know, hey, look, he did a good thing. But does that mean he's right about it all? No. Does that mean that somebody in that church at some point in time, the Holy Spirit had, had moved them, and maybe in prayer they, they spoke to God in a whole different language? I'm going to say to you, sometimes we're so concerned over the big showy stuff, we miss the worshiping and the serving of Yeshua HaMashiach. We, we miss the trusting and obeying of the Holy Spirit. I would submit to you, a lot of times we do that because we're afraid that maybe healing isn't coming 
Maybe martyrdom is coming. Let's pray. Father, we're in perilous times. Good evening, by the way. Thank you for being with us tonight. It's awesome of you to visit with us. We love being in your presence. It's incredible to have you here. I thank you that you see fit, despite my sinful nature and and my sins, that you would come and, and be with us as we gather here. I thank you that you've purposed in the lives of these people here that they want to be here tonight, spending time together. And I thank you that in this study of the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts, that we, can, that we can talk together as family, some agreeing and some not agreeing, and that we're still family. We love each other because we first loved you. And I love that you work things out that way. You're not an awesome God. You are the awesome God. And it is to you that we offer our praise in whatever language. I know half the time you probably, I massacre your, your language so poorly you probably think I'm trying to talk in tongues. But I thank you that you, you, you hear. You listen and you hear. I, I love that you hear the simplest of prayers from little kids. And I, and I ask that you help us to pray more like we talk for real and authentic in our hungering and our thirsting after righteousness. Thank you for your word. What an amazing gift. Thank you for Paul, for his, his boldness. Thank you for the people that are listening uh, all over the internet and, and all the different places where people listen. I just pray that you would touch them and bless them. And we thank you for this, this gift of the internet that we can, we can even do this. It's just awesome. Thank you for blessing us as, as you have. I pray this in Yeshua, your son's name. Amen.